For those of you who don't know me, my name is Steve Jones, and I have the privilege of being the pastor of the church here, Oxford Community Church, and it's just great to be gathering together. Great to see a whole bundle of new faces, people I don't recognize this morning. So uh, a really warm welcome to you. I hope you're enjoying your time with us this morning. Um, I need to let you know, and anyone who in the church hasn't yet caught up on the fact that we are in a series... Uh, which we're doing not only here in the King Centre in Oxford, but is being shared in Kidlington and Bicester and on Blackbird Lees as well, churches that we've planted out over the years, entitled God's Big Picture. A couple of weeks ago, Dave Perry spoke about the whole story of the Bible, from the beginning in Genesis to the end of Revelation. There's a number of different chapters of one big story. Uh, We're being blessed as we do this series by our friend Vaughan Roberts from St. Ebbs, who's written a book called God's Big Picture. And if you'd like to dig for yourself more into this whole story that unfolds all the way through the pages of the Bible, then you could get hold of that, uh, freely available on Amazon. We have ordered a bundle of copies to be here, but our suppliers have been slow in getting them here. So if you'd like to get hold of one quickly, Amazon may well be able to serve you more quickly. They've arrived. Ah, brilliant. So that is a st- good. It's a step forward. We don't have to pay Amazon any more money to not be taxed. That's good. So, um, in that book, Vaughan helpfully outlines eight chapters. The beginning, creation, uh, the pattern of God's kingdom. The next chapter is the one that we're in this week about God's kingdom perishing. There's another six chapters to come, which we'll look at over the coming weeks. So, last week, I got to speak about creation and how we as people are the pinnacle of God's creation even if we don't always feel like it. We are made in the image of God and bring his glory wherever we go. Uh, This week is likely to be less of a feel-good morning. Because the next bit of the story doesn't feel so good, but um, I think it actually may do us more real good to look at this next part of the story because there is a power for transformation if we get hold of the truths revealed in this next part of the story. In just a moment, I'm going to read Genesis chapter 1. I wonder, actually, if somebody would help me by getting some water because I'm already a little bit parched and it's going to get worse as we go on. There we are, about five people. You're all brilliant. Thank you. And then there was someone that did it more intelligently. That's great. Thank you very much indeed. Not that, I'm, not that other people aren't intelligent, I'm sure. It's just... Brilliant. Thank you. Um, someone tell Nick before he gets all the way back. Okay. Last week, we looked at people being, as I said, the pinnacle of God's creation and that we are made to experience God face to face with his breath in our nostrils. And yet, life in many ways is not experienced like that. Uh, Humans are indeed the greatest of all God's creation, and yet we can also be the worst, the most evil, the greatest exploiters. Why is that? Well, that's what we get to look at this morning, and it's because of something that the Bible calls sin. 
We first discover it through a story in the Garden of Eden, which is where we left off last week. So if you have a Bible, uh, please do follow along, make sure I'm reading it properly. This is the story recounted in Genesis chapter 3. Now, the serpent was more crafty... Oh, that's interesting. I'm in charge of something I didn't expect to be. There we go. Ah, there we go. Great. Okay. We'll start again. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you mustn't eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you mustn't eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you mustn't touch it or you'll die. You won't surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, God said, who told you? that you were naked. Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, about which I commanded you, you mustn't eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. 
through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. From dust you are, and to dust you will return. And Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He mustn't be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he'd been taken. And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the Tree of Life. Of course, the serpent lied. Lied in a number of ways. When he said, if you eat this, you'll be like God. We know from chapters earlier, they're already like God, made in his image. He deceives through his lies. They're not going to be made uh, more glorious through disobeying the command. This tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it's interesting. What does it mean? Well, Adam and Eve already had knowledge of what was good. God had commanded them their purpose to increase in number, fill the earth and rule it came with an understanding of what was right and good. They already knew about the good stuff. Had this desire for the knowledge not only of the good, but also of the evil. They wanted to look into the darkness and the chaos and to comprehend it. And it was foolish. It was sin. It was disobedient. In the following chapters, we see this this foolishness and sin multiply and multiply. This chapter of the story goes from Genesis 3 through to chapter 11. There's a whole new chapter that starts in Genesis chapter 12 as promises are made to this incredible figure, Abraham. And that's the story that we'll come to next week. But here, it goes from bad to worse. In the next chapter, there is murder, as Cain murders his brother Abel. Uh, seven generations on, we get to Lamech, of the, one of the descendants of Cain, who also is a murderer. It talks about how clever his people were with their art and their technology. But he was a callous murderer. It talks in chapter 6 of the sons of God, the heroes, it's the fallen ones, the Nephilim it's described, as taking women as an evil act. In Noah's generation, uh, chapter 6 and verse 5, it said that every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts, every inclination 
of the thoughts of their hearts were only evil all the time. It's pretty strong. This evil that has been sought out, Adam and Eve took an interest in the darkness and the chaos. They wanted to know about it. But having gone after it, it just takes over. It proves to be stronger than they are, and evil infects the whole of the human race. Every thought of the human heart, evil only, uh, was only evil all the time. There's one family that stands apart from this only evil all the time. That's Noah. Gets saved in an ark, along with a bundle of animals. And then he becomes the first drunkard. Not a story covered in the glory of God for which humanity was made. And then we get to the story of the the Tower of Babel, the city of Babel, in which the people were proud and self-defensive, seeking to defend themselves without reference to God's help needed in their lives. So it goes from, it does go from bad to worse, but it, it all began in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were incredibly foolish. They, they ignored the words that God had spoken, words that God had spoken to them face to face with his breath upon them. The words carried on his breath into their ears, burnt into their hearts, they chose to ignore. What a mess. Adam and Eve wanted to know about good and evil. And we see in these chapters that now, indeed, humanity has learned about evil and actually become expert in it. From that, we see a bundle of consequences. And I've put these under three different headings. Consequences of their foolishness. Consequences of their sin. The first kind of consequence is a forfeit. To forfeit something is to lose it. It was yours and is no longer. You have forfeited it. This is a picture uh, illustrating the angel, the cherub, one of the cherub, there were more than one according to Genesis, cherubim, chasing Adam and Eve from the garden and ensuring that they don't find their way back. The story tells us that Adam and Eve forfeited their place in the garden. They were cast out from the place that God had provided for them. And in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 19, it makes it clear that there's another forfeit. You will return to the ground, God says to Adam. You will return to the ground. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. They forfeited their eternal life. Until this point, they didn't know death. Death was one of those evils that they knew nothing about. But now they not only knew about it, but would experience it. They forfeited their life. They were cast out of the garden. The worst of it is that they lost 
their intimate closeness to God. Last week, we looked at the wonderful thing of being made for relationship with God, made for face-to-face relationship with God. They lost it. They had it. They ignored it. They lost it. The following chapters reveal further judgments. We're not going to go through all of them. I just want to draw your attention to what happens when Cain, having murdered his brother, is exiled from the land. It's his punishment for murder is he is exiled from the land. This is what he says. He says, my punishment is more than I can bear, verse 13. I I can't bear this exile. But what does he go on to say? Today, you're driving me from the land, and God, I will be hidden from your face. That's the worst of it. I'll be hidden from your face. This intended relationship, this intended intimacy is forfeit. It's lost. Now, I said that this morning would not be so feel-good uh, but it might, do us, it might do us some real good. And uh, there's two things that as I was praying, uh, one thing as I was praying, and another thing that was just really sharpened as Helen came and shared something with me as we were worshipping. Um, I believe that this morning God wants to do at least two distinct things. And one of those is to break the power of, when, the word that Helen used, talking to me was fatalism. That is, the feeling that things just are what they are, that whatever I am, I am. Whatever my struggles, they are what they are. And this sort of acceptance of all of the mess. In painting the portrait this morning of what sin is, my hope is that it would so horrify us and, and so cause us to lament what was lost that it will somehow snap us out of that fatalism. It just won't do to accept that intimate relationship with God for all eternity is forfeit. It won't do just to shrug the shoulders. Yeah. Oh, well, that's how it is. Closeness to God is always difficult, isn't it? Eternal life, well, you know, you kind of hope, don't you? But whatever. No. There was something better by far that was intended for us as people, and it's been lost. We're going to see it's not meant to remain. Why doesn't the story of the Bible just start with, well, the world's a pickle, isn't it? doesn't start that way because it's made for more. We're made for more. We're meant to have something kind of burn in us. There's something supposed to come alive in us as we look at this. Of Well, no, things aren't how they're supposed to be, but they really don't have to stay that way because they were made for something different. We were made for something more. Something that needs to break in us of just accepting, well, the world's a difficult place. Life's hard and then you die. Um, Bev's maiden name is Duncan. Uh, the motto of the clan Duncan is, wait for it, uh, suffering will come. 
It's very Scottish, isn't it? <laughs> Dur. It's what it is. Suffering will come. Well, well, yes, it will. That's true. It will. But that's not the whole story. That's like you started reading the Bible in Genesis chapter 3. We're not supposed to start in Genesis chapter 3. We started at the beginning because there's a vision of what, what humanity is meant to be, which is now being spoilt, but we don't live in the spoiledness. Are you with me? So God wants to break a kind of fatalism, shrug the shoulders, whatever, we're sinners. What will be, will be. Lord, I pray that you would break that. As we look at the scripture, lift it off from us, I pray. Break it and lift it and wash it away and change it and cause faith to arise in us. That what we looked at last week, what's there in the first couple of chapters is what we were made for and we can live in the good of it. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I also um, felt as I was praying this morning that God wants to issue a call this morning specifically to pastors. And by this, I don't mean pastors of churches, like organizational leadership. I mean people with a call to pastoral care. Because as we look at these things of what's wrong in us, it's pastors, those with a gift of pastoral care, who look at that and say, let me at it. I, I want to help fix that. Whatever that is, I, it doesn't have to stay that way, does it? Why don't we sit down and talk about it, understand it, pray about it, see what the scriptures have to say, and see real change. Why don't we do that? And if it takes sitting down for quite a while and praying for quite a while, we're going to keep sitting and praying and talking and looking at the scriptures and drinking cups of tea until it's done. I believe that this morning God wants to ignite something else. This won't be in everybody, but in some people there's a gift of pastoral care that God wants to just bring to life. Uh, that you would be instrumental in the profound change of many lives. And if that's you, what will happen is that as I'm going on through what these scriptures have to say, you'll start to feel something like an aching, kind of, I want to somehow get involved in that. I want to somehow see lives changed in those areas. And if that's you, then I'd love to hear about that. I'd love to join with you in praying into what God is doing in your life. That was all a bit of a tangent from this point in the story. Stuff was forfeit. Eternal life, forfeit. Living with the face of God shining upon them, forfeit. That's one thing. Here's another thing. They got to be fragmented. There is a fragmentation that takes place here in the story. A, a breaking apart of things that were originally together. Now, this is easy to miss, uh, but it becomes very clear if we just take a little bit longer to think about humanity's original state, what life was like in the beginning for Adam and Eve. Because they, Adam and Eve, they had a perfect knowledge of what was right. They had knowledge of God's purposes for them. He'd explained it to them. And get this, 
their desires were in all respects in accordance with that knowledge and purpose. Can you imagine that? They always wanted what they knew to be right and in accordance with the purpose of God. That's the way that they were made until they were foolish. They were made that way, all lined up. No bent towards sinfulness, all lined up, made well. This is why God could say in Genesis 1, after the creation of men and women, they are very good. Their knowledge, their understanding lined up with what they wanted, or rather what they wanted lined up with what they knew was good. Not only that, but their feelings, their emotions were in harmony with their understanding and will. They were free from all contradiction and disorder. It all lined up. What a happy life. And not only that, but they had the executive power to do all the good that they knew should be done. They never had the experience of knowing there was something they should do and not being able to do it. God gave them the power to do everything that they should do, along with understanding of what that thing was, what its purpose was, why it should be done, and they wanted to do it. They desired the same things that God had put in them. That's what it was like to be made human in the beginning. Wow, indeed. Long way off our experience, huh? After they sinned, straight after they sinned, chapter 3, verse 7, first thing, their eyes were opened and they realized they were naked. And they'd been naked all along, but they were ashamed of their nakedness. They were no longer comfortable in their own skin. A distance had somehow appeared between their sense of who they were and their own bodies. It's like a fracture line had appeared inside them. They didn't even like who they were anymore. Verse 16, Eve was cursed to have a desire for a man even though he rules her harshly which, of course, she didn't desire. That is, there is one desire in her that is at war with another desire in her. The desire for love and tenderness set at odds with the desire for a man, even though he will rule in a way that may often be harsh. Don't we know that experience, all of us, not just the women present, of desires in us that pull in different directions. I want this and I want that. And I, they don't go together, but they're both in me. It's like another fracture line. And then there's Adam. Adam still has a purpose. He's not tending the trees in the garden anymore. He gets to go out to the plants of the fields, which are not so good. Uh, but now his body is limited in fulfilling it. He gets to have painful toil and sweat. He has to bump up against the limits of his physical being and find that actually no longer is his body strong enough, energetic enough, powerful enough 
to do all the things that he's meant to do. It's like another fracture line, a, a, a fracture between the purpose of our living and our own bodies. There's this fragmentation that goes on. And we, we just think that's normal, right? It's not. It's not what we're made for. Here's a third thing, and it follows on really very closely. It's hugely frustrating living like this, isn't it? The purpose I've already mentioned in, comes from chapter 1. The purpose of humanity, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, and rule over it. Bringing God's glory wherever we go. Gets frustrated for Eve, pain in childbearing. This purpose that she has, a key part in the fruitful multiplication, it's made painful, it's frustrated. And for Adam, not only is he physically limited by his body, but uh, when he toils the ground, it produces thorns and thistles. <laughs> That's frustrating. don't know whether any of you in your work feel like you're trying to sow seeds of wheat or uh, cabbages or whatever. I don't know which of those feels like it connects more to your line of work. Uh, but in place of it, you get thorns and thistles. But I didn't sow that. No, it just springs up. Frustration. Huge frustration. I don't know whether you've noticed, but these three things of forfeit and fragmentation and frustration tie in with our three themes that are unfolding throughout this series. Dave Perry started us a couple of weeks ago looking at God's place and God's purpose and God's people. And these three things, they, they fit. That what happens is they forfeit their place close to God. And the image of God in which they were made as God's people has got fragmented. So their place is forfeit. Their identity as God's people is fragmented. And the frustration is all about God's purpose. There's something in us that longs for God's purposes to be revealed, and it's frustrated. This is the same story. This is the story that unfolds all the way through. As Dave also pointed out two weeks ago, in the midst of all of this folly and loss and pain and frustration, there is mercy. Adam and Eve have made their own clothes out of fig leaves. don't know if you've tried that. Um, I note... There are no fig leaf made clothes on the market today. I think that's probably a sign of their poor saleability. Because they're not very good. But it's the best they could do. They probably fell off, I'm guessing. God makes for them clothes out of animal skins. You can buy those on the market today. They're better. People pay money for them because they last. And they can be warm. And they protect us. God gives them something better than they could make for themselves. There's a promise concerning the serpent, who we later discover. In in this passage, he's just a snake. Uh, Later, the Bible explains to us, this is Satan at work. Revelation chapter 12 talks about that ancient serpent, who is Satan. He's cast down. And the the promise comes in right here. This serpent, whoever he is, is going to get crushed. He's going to get dealt with. There's a promise that sustains hope. God also 
in, uh, he, he limits their power to do evil. So that people having chosen to do evil, again and again, God limits their power. So he casts them out of Eden, because if they stayed in Eden, they might get the tree of life and live forever doing evil. So he pulls that back, prevents them from doing all the evil that they could. Same thing goes on in the story of the Tower of Babel. They're starting to do something really powerfully evil, and God says, let's just limit that. Uh, God helps Eve to bear her children. She names her first son Cain, uh, which, uh, and says, God's helped me to have this. There's protection for Cain when he's exiled and wandering over the face of the earth. God says, I'm still going to protect you. And of course, there's the ark to save humanity from the flood. So to summarize all of that, Adam and Eve ignore God's word. Sin begins and spins out of control. It leads to loss, that is to forfeit, fragmentation, frustration. But God is merciful in the midst. Now then, let's pause. And let me ask uh, a question which I'll answer. It's okay. You can, um, because I will. Um, the question is, given that this all took, took place so long ago, how does it affect us? Uh, this is a story from a long time ago, like at least the Iron Age. <laughs> yeah? Um, maybe even the Bronze Age. It's a long time ago. How does this story affect us? Does it affect us? Well, the answer that I'd like to suggest to you is that these stories explain us. They explain us. When we don't understand ourselves, these stories explain us, who we are. Because what we read of Adam and Eve is true of us too. They were made the pinnacle of God's creation. And we know that we, every one of us, every one of you, is fearfully and wonderfully made. Better than any other kind of species on the face of the planet. You're amazing. You are amazing. And foolish. So am I. And we too have forfeited eternal life. And I could tell from how I described that fragmentation. And people going, yeah, that's me. Yeah, I, I have all kinds of desires. And my body doesn't do what I like either. And I don't even understand what I'm supposed to do. Huh. Fragmented. And frustrated. So what I'd like to do is to turn to another part of the scriptures. I'm going to turn to the book of Romans. The book of Romans is a, is a masterpiece of Christian teaching. In this letter to the church in Rome, we see the Apostle Paul reflecting on the very same things. I'm going to jump around a bit just to show how he picks up the same themes as he explains the gospel. I'll get to the picture in a minute. Well, this is a picture from Picasso. just wanted to highlight that this sense of the different bits of me just don't line up with each other is a very modern feeling. Picasso painted a little picture because he saw it. Romans chapter 1 speaks of the foolishness 
verses 21 to 23, although they knew God, and this is, this is speaking of all people now, not just Adam and Eve, all people, including us. So I'm going to just take the liberty of changing it to we, because we're part of the whole. It does apply to us. Although we knew God, we neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him, but our thinking became futile, and our foolish hearts were darkened. Although we've claimed to be wise, we've become fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. That is to say, we've paid more attention to creation than to the creator. And our thinking is futile and foolish. And Paul makes it clear that there is trouble for everyone who does evil, that we too are forfeit. Chapter 2 and verse 9, there will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. Trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. The sort of consequences that we see in the early part of Genesis, and they're true for us as well, and that includes our lives. Chapter 5 and verse 12, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. So our lives are forfeit for our sin in the same way that it happened in the story in Genesis. And then in chapter 7, Paul describes his own personal experience of this fractured soul. Verse 15. I don't understand what I do. I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I don't want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living in me. I I know that nothing good lives in me that is in, in, in that part of me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what's good, but I can't carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I don't want to do, that's what I keep on doing. Fractured. Fragmented. This fracture in us, this breaking apart of our very selves, is actually seen in lots of ways. So that instead of being like Adam and Eve as they originally were, of knowing what is right and believing it and wanting it and being able to do it, we find these different things pulling apart so that our our understanding and our convictions and our desires and our bodies might all be at odds with each other and all be at odds with God's kingdom purpose, which is to fill the earth with people who display his glory. For example... Uh, you may at work believe that you're called to serve your employer as if serving the Lord and just find that you've not got the energy to do it. It's a consequence of sin. 
You might diligently share God's word with people, but find that you actually hate doing it. It's a fracture, and it's a consequence of sin. In Romans chapter 1, the thing that Paul jumps to is around sexuality. He says that we have sexual desires that are at odds with our physical bodies and with God's kingdom purpose. The word unnatural means at odds with how things were created in the beginning. We have bodies that work a certain way, but we don't desire what fits with what those bodies do. Equally, a husband and wife may desire children with their desire lining up with the functioning of their bodies and and yet find that their bodies don't allow it. All of these things follow from this story in the Garden of Eden. There's a brokenness. We all share in the same brokenness. It's easy to point the finger at other people's brokenness and go, oh, look at you. You're a bundle of contradictions, aren't you? Well, maybe you've just not learned mine yet. Ask my daughters. They'll tell you all about it. (laughs) Since we're drawing on Vaughan Roberts in this series as a whole, let me tell you the one thing I once heard him preaching which landed with me more than anything else is when he said... uh, if you knew, if I, if I knew what you were really like, you know, all of these contradictions and everything, if I knew what you were really like, I would not want to stand here and talk to you. If you knew what I was like, you wouldn't want to listen to me. And that's the reality, isn't it? We're all in the same boat. And of course, Paul also picks up on this thing of frustration. He gets to it in chapter 8, where he says, the creation was subjected to frustration, verse 20. Then verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly. There's a frustration. So the story of the Old Testament describes the experience of humanity lived today. The Garden of Eden is where sin began, but not where it ends. Adam and Eve are our ancestors. Whatever you make of the science of that, let me say confidently, Adam and Eve are our ancestors, and we are all their sinful children. Their mess is our mess. And that's why Paul cries out towards the end of chapter 7, this deep cry. Verse 24, what a wretched man am I? It's wretched all of this, isn't it? Let's be honest. It's rubbish. Absolutely wretched. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Now notice, He's not saying, who will tell me a bit more stuff so that I will make better choices? He's not asking for a little bit of a hand. He's asking for a rescue. And when I said earlier about this fate is, you know, we are what we are, and there we go. 
Sometimes we get into that place because we think we've got to fix ourselves. And if we're going to fix ourselves, well, then we rather lack confidence that we'll manage it. But the thing about falling into a pit is you need lifting out. You need someone else to come and do it. You need rescue. Who will rescue me, Paul says. And then he, thankfully, has an answer. Thanks be to God, he says, verse 25. It's through Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Because he's explained this already in chapter 3 and verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's the glum, lacking any feel-good truth. We've all sinned and all fallen short, but we are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. This is to say, we are all made innocent again and accepted once more. What Jesus described as being born again. There's a new start and it's a gift It's a gift that comes because Jesus paid a price. It's called a redemption, a rescue that's a gift. Instead of having to sort our own problems out, we can instead accept what Jesus has done for us. He paid the forfeit so we can go free. He was broken. Get that. He was broken. In a minute, we're going to break bread. We're going to tear a loaf apart to remind us of the historical truth that Jesus was broken. He was broken so that our fragmented parts might be put back together. That we might be bound up once more so that our hearts and minds, and soul, and strength might all get bound up together, realigned, pulling in the same direction, like it was meant to be. And of course, Jesus was raised to life, didn't stay on the cross, went into a grave, and he was raised to life, showing power that will achieve God's purposes. And so, frustration can be overcome. There is power. I don't know if you've ever connected up the resurrection power of Jesus with your frustrations at work. Like even, please, I hope this doesn't sound too trivial, but even when the printer doesn't work, it's like a thorn or a thistle in life. It's a frustration. You know what? Resurrection power tells us God's kingdom purposes will be fulfilled. It's why also we can pray for women approaching childbirth to have a good birth. Because it's a curse of sin that will make it awful. That something better can happen. There's a transformation of human experience that's possible because of God's power seen in the resurrection. Okay, as I said, in just a moment we're going to break bread. What I'm going to do now is just put up on the screens a prayer that we can all pray that acknowledges our sin and invites Jesus into our lives, accepts what he's done for us.
Uh, my hope is that there might be some people here today who've never prayed this prayer before and who might want to pray it for the first time. So I'm going to put it up here now and give you a moment to read this so you can process what it says. Then I'm going to pray it aloud and invite you to join in and we'll say our amen together. first time or the hundred and first time if it's in your heart to pray these words with me then you pray them in your heart internally or you can pray them out loud but let's pray together dear Jesus I know I have sinned against you I confess that I am a sinner and I accept the sacrifice you made on the cross on my behalf I ask you to come into my heart. Please cleanse me of my sin. Give me eternal life. I repent from my sins and put my trust in you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.